Let's pray. Lord, thank You for our time of worship together. Thank You for this church family. And, and now as we open Your Word, we're uh, asking that uh, through the Holy Spirit You will teach us. Speak truth. And, and then, Lord, uh, make it real. Show us how to respond uh, in obedience, in faith, in the power of the Holy Spirit uh, so that we can be conformed to the image of Jesus. And so, Lord, we love You. We thank You for Your Word. And I give You this time now in Jesus' name. Amen. Alright, Acts 2.42. Speaking of the early church, right? 3,000 people get added miraculously. The church launches. And what do they do? Acts 2.42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Right? So we've, we've looked at these verses several times. Right? We know that the early church was devoted to teaching and to fellowship. And if you look down, the, there's two key aspects of fellowship that we've been looking to, and it's really interesting. Look at verse 44. All the believers were together and had everything in what? In common. In common. And we've been trying to really go all the way back to the core of fellowship because, again, fellowship is one of those churchy words that if we're not careful and we don't uh, maybe allow God to speak truth to our hearts and change our definition of fellowship, we're just going to continue on based on what we think fellowship is. And oftentimes, quite honestly, we define fellowship in the church as activities that are optional. We define the word fellowship as a synonym for social. And, and that's really not the case. That is really not the case. And so we've been spending this much time on this churchy word fellowship because it is so deeply ingrained in us that fellowship equals something social or service, but optional. And what we're learning is because the core of it is commonality, because the core of it is when you're a believer, you're placed into the church, fellowship really comes out of who you are and what you do because God says so. And, 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 and that's even just that little bit right here might be enough for someone to go home and let me think about this now. So I'm a believer. I'm put into the body of Christ. I, I, I'm fellowshipping at a local church. It's not optional because I have everything in common. There's a commonality. So Lord, what do I need to change in my attitude, in my perspective? Because so much of the American culture, the American church, American Christianity is, well, if I, if, if I want to, if it fits, if it's convenient. And, and that's really one of the hardest things that, that even pastors, we, we, we sometimes even whole churches get sucked into trying to make it convenient, trying to make it palatable, trying to make it so that you choose to come. And what we're doing, almost inadvertently, is reinforcing bad habits. We're just reinforcing bad habits when we do that. 
And, and it's really interesting. Uh, when I was in, first started out in ministry, I was at a couple large churches in, in San Diego. Nothing wrong with large churches, but they were very evangelistic, right? Altar calls every Sundays. And, and then I got to participate uh, in a parachurch ministry where we hosted a youth crusade in the San Diego sports arena. So I had lots of opportunity to work with people who would come forward at, at altar calls. Right? How many of you are familiar with altar call counseling? Right? You've seen it, crusades, Billy Graham events. And so when people would come forward for counseling, you know, we would train our counselors, or I was a counselor, and we would discuss with them their decision for Jesus. And then we would say, it would transition into, now here's what you need to do. Okay? And, and as I've been studying this biblical fellowship, I'm kind of convicted about what we were directing people to do now there's nothing wrong with them because what we would normally say is okay celebrating your decision for jesus now here's what you need to do you need to start reading your bible you need to have a quiet time and you need to find a local church to plug into anything wrong with any of those nothing wrong with any of those what's wrong is that the emphasis is on what they need to do for them. Do you see the difference? You need to get into the Bible because it's good for you. You need to start having a quiet time because it's good for you. And you need to find a local church that teaches the Bible because it's good for you. Is there anything in there, hey, I'm so glad that you made a decision for Jesus, and here's what that means. You're now part of the body of Christ. And in the body of Christ, you will now have everything in common with all your brothers and sisters in Christ. So your life isn't yours anymore, buddy. <laughs> and, and that church that you find, the first thing you need to do is go find the pastor and say, I'm part of, I'd like to be part of your church. How can I serve and, and pour into this body here? Uh-oh. <laughs> roll, roll, right? Do you see the difference? Sometimes, even with the best of intentions, wanting to get the, the newborn believers off and running, we send them down the path of self-centeredness. We send them down the path of Christianity is doing all these things just to benefit me. And then here's the crazy thing. Two, five, ten years down the road, pastors sit up here and go, you know, you really ought to serve. You You see? You see, so, so we train you very early to, to, to do everything to help you grow. And then somewhere down the road, we're supposed to convince you that now you need to start serving. Oh, no, I kind of like my Bible study and my and my. And now he's asking me to add on. You see the difference? Radical difference. Look at the early church. It says in verse 44, all the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their positions and goods, they gave to everyone as he had need. So right off the bat, hey, new believers, we have everything in common. Now you've got to act. You see what I'm saying? The rest of that passage is action. They're selling. They're giving. They're engaged in people's lives. Right off the bat, they didn't go through a 10-week new believer course. Do you see what I'm saying? That's what we, that my, my concern is sometimes even in the church, we, we, we teach, we teach, we teach, and 
the body, and I've been guilty of this too, we feel good because we completed the course. We didn't change anything in our life, but I went through the course. And so our Christianity is now our progression of courses, of conferences, of sermons, right? Mike shared with before last year, I said, hey, Mike, do you have all the sermon notes from all those years? And Mike said, yeah. So Mike brought in his stack of sermon notes from the very first one. And they were this thick of sermon notes, those half pages that you have, this thick, three inches. That's a lot of information. That's a lot of information. And so we have to be careful. And that's why we're spending so much time on biblical fellowship. Because biblical fellowship, as we looked at last Sunday, it begins where? At salvation. It's not an add-on after you get saved. Okay, let's turn to 1 John. And we're going to look at that. 1 John 1. First John, chapter 1, starting in verse 5. This is the message we have heard from Him and declare to you. God is light. In Him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with Him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. Right? So fellowship goes all the way back to our life. Our habitual choice that we make to either follow Jesus or not. He says, hey, if you're claiming to have fellowship with God, if you're claiming this vertical new covenant relationship, as a whole, your life habitual, the habitual pattern of your life should be that you're walking and following Jesus in the light. Otherwise, you're lying. You're lying to yourself and you're lying to others. Okay? Then look what he says. We looked at this last week. Verse 7. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, We have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, His Son, purifies us from all sin. So here's the radical thing. At the point of salvation, you're grafted into the body of Christ. Say, yes, Lord, I want to walk habitually as the pattern of my life in the light, following Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. I want to walk in obedience. And verse 7 says, as we do that, the fellowship with one another flows. Flows. Fellowship isn't some side thing that we work on separately and then we get back to, here's my relationship with God. Oh, now I'm supposed to fellowship. Now I've got to go be busy because this is fellowship. Oh, wait, but now I've got to go back to my private relationship with God. No. If we as a church family want our fellowship to mature, which it has, a la yesterday, then us as a church family need to be maturing vertically. Amen? And that means individually. Individually. Our fellowship follows. Horizontal fellowship will follow vertical. Okay? That's why if there's a problem in the church, if there's a problem with the, the church body, we're not going to get all human and say, well, what bugs you about Ernie? Ernie, what bugs you about Bill? You know, we're not going to get there first and foremost. We're going to say, hey guys, let's seek God together. Because oftentimes conflict in the church has to do with heart issues this way first. And if we can focus on, on the vertical fellowship, the horizontal fellowship will follow. It'll be that much easier to work through. Okay? So, so 
if fellowship begins at salvation, my heart today for us, we're going we're gonna to be in First John and we're going to look at a lot of passages. Here's what I want you to understand. Fellowship and loving one another, because they begin at salvation, you can't divorce the two. You can't love God and love one another as an option. In fact, you're going to see you can't say you love God and have and hate your brother. You're going to see that. So I, I want you to, and I know, see, this is what I said last night. This is where it's kind of stuff. I know I'm kind of preaching to the choir because you're here. And I see how you love one another in very practical ways. But like I said last Sunday, don't check out. Because you interact even with the church community in this valley. And you interact with other believers that still see fellowship as optional. You still see other believers who profess to love God but hate another believer and have issues. And what you learn here from God's Word, God may actually use you over coffee to say, Hey man, let me share with you what God's Word says about fellowship and, and why it's not optional. And, and God may actually use you. Okay, so, so I know that, that it's kind of tough. You're like, well, yeah, you know, I love, I love everyone here. I know that, but it's just a good reminder. But it's also one of those things that go, okay. So that's our heart in looking at this. We've got we to understand, if you're a believer and you profess to love God, loving others is not an option. It's a command. It's a command. You are commanded. I am commanded to love other believers. Turn to the person next to you and say, that's you. That, that's you, right? So we're going to look at several passages and then we're just going to touch on them as we go. So uh, let's turn to chapter 2. 1 John 2. Kind of going to, we're just going to kind of do a survey here, right? First John 2, starting uh, verse 3. We know that we have come to know Him. Okay, he's talking about the believers and their assurance of salvation, right? That's why first, in First John 5, we saw that last week. The purpose of this book is assurance of salvation. We know that we have come to know Him if we what? Obey His commands. The man who says, I know Him, but does not do what He commands is a liar... And the truth is not in him. But if anybody obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. This is how we know him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus walked. Woo! John would not be popular today. Because he says, hey, professing Christian, what's your life really reveal? He's not talking perfection. He's saying, when he says walk, it is the habitual pattern of your life. That's what verse 6. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as the habitual pattern of your life as Jesus did. Okay? Let's go to verse uh, 9. Same chapter. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother is still in the darkness. Whoever loves his brother lives in the light and there is nothing in him to make him stumble. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. He does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded him. So according to that verse, is it possible to say I'm a Christian and hate another believer? 
Can you imagine if the church took these verses to heart? The testimony that the church would bring to this country and the world? If we truly took that to heart and reconciled and forgave and did everything we need to do within the church, what would happen? What would happen? This is also a caution against hypocrisy. This is a caution against hypocrisy, guys. What is, what is a hypocrite? An actor, someone who wears a mask. So what he's saying here is, hey, don't be a hypocrite. Don't come here and raise your hands and say, I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. I sing all these songs and then go home and say, oh, man, I hate that other Christian. God's calling you out right there. That's, that's hypocrisy. That's hypocrisy. You can't do that, right? Okay, let's look at verse, uh, John 3. Let's look at, go to verse 11. You're going to see a common theme here all throughout our verses. This is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, my brothers, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no no murderer has life in him. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we also ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need, but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us, love with, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. Right? Love is a verb. In, in the Bible, love is a verb. It's not a feeling. It's an action word. And in fact, it says, hey, if you see a brother or sister in need... It's not bad to pray for them. But he says, hey, if there's a material need, you've got to meet it. You've got to meet it, right? Look at there. Verse 17, if anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. That's what I love about many of you. You love in action. This, this is very, this, is a, this fellowship right here, you know, you're an action church, right? Hey, there's a need. I got by meals. Woohoo, right? The memorial service. Woohoo. Someone needs a ride. Yeah, I'm there. Okay, so you're doing this. You're doing this already. It's just a reminder that love, agape love is a verb. It's not feelings based. It's, it's volitional based. Okay, that's why Jesus can command it because it's based on actions. All right? Let's look at the verse 23 of the same chapter. And this is His command, to believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as He commanded us. Those who obey His commands live in Him, and He in them. And this is how we know that He lives in us. We know it by the Spirit He gave us. Verse 23. And this is His command, to believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as He commanded us. So, Based on that verse, can you be commanded to love? Yes. Who commands you to love? To love who? Specifically, who is he speaking to? To love? Brothers and sisters, to love those other believers. 
God is commanding us to love one another. But what if you don't like the person next to you? <laughs> What's that? Sit somewhere else. <laughs> Wait, Mark, you moved. What happened? Something happened. Mark's at a different place. Tony? Now everyone's feeling bad. Oh, man, why'd they move? It is a command. We are commanded to love one another. Now, why is that important? Because remember I told you as a new believer, oftentimes we train you to be very private and individualistic and sit in the back and then decide. What if a new believer was told, hey, glad you came forward on Friday. Let's say you come to church, right? Hey, find a church Sunday, and on that Sunday, start loving people. But I don't know them. That's okay. Start loving them. It takes the focus off yourself. Remember, I've told you, do you come to church just to be a getter or a giver? See, you're commanded, we are commanded to love one another, which means every Sunday that you're together, you are commanded to love one another, to be an action. It's an action word. Right away, see? It takes Christianity out of being a spectator sport. Out of church being a spectator sport. You all watch the guy up here. No, we are commanded from day one as a believer to love one another, which means get in the game. Start loving. Get active. Memorizing is fine. Bible study discussing it is fine. But that's secondary to just jump in. Well, what do you mean love one another? I don't know. Go meet them. Go introduce yourself. Shake their hand and say, hey, how you doing? Right? Right? Let's get real. Right off the get-go, we are commanded to love one another. Now, in the flesh, is that really possible? That is why we're going to see down the road. This is supernatural. It's a work of the Holy Spirit loving others through you. Oh, but I, you know, what if they don't like me? What if they reject me? What if they're mean to me? What if those girls over there don't, you know, you know, it's, that's when you move. You say, no, that's okay. I'm commanded to love you. So out of obedience, I'm going to love you. But what do we do? We start playing all these head games. Like Moses, I can't talk. I can't this. I can't that. Right? When, when God was going to send him to Pharaoh, Moses turned all about Moses. But no, I can't. I can't. I can't. And God's like, I'm sending you. Go. We are commanded to love. So if there's somebody in this room that you don't even know yet, you're still commanded to love them. It's just, it's a command. That, and then what happens? As you obey, there's life. The life in a church happens as we just obey God's command, even when we're together. Then there's life. Then there's vitality. Then there's growth. Then there's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay? So it is a command. All right? Let's, keep, let's just keep moving through here. Let's go to 1 John 4, starting verse 7. Here we hear it again. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed His love among us. He sent His one and only Son into the world that we might live through Him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and has sent His Son 
as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, hey believers, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and His love is made complete in us. What do we learn about love there? One, it's rooted in God's nature. Verse 8, God is love, right? And here's the thing. How does God's nature connect to you as a believer? Look at uh, verse 7 there. Dear friends, let us love one another for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been what? Born of God. We talked about this before. When you are born again, regenerated, supernaturally, you're given a new nature. God's nature that wants to do the things of God. So if God is love and you've been born again into His family, you've been given your Father's nature, which is to love. So you have the capacity, because your nature has been changed, you have the capacity to love. So remember that verse about being commanded? But I can't. I can't love. I, I, I. No, you can. You can. Because you've been given a new nature. You've been born again as a child of God. He regenerates you and He gives you the Holy Spirit. Amen? Very important. Very important, right? Look at verse... Uh, let's look at verse 7 again. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. You know that word knows means experiential. Not knowing about, it is experiential. How many of you want to know God? Like really know God in your life? Experience God mature, have vitality. How many of you would love to know God that way? Then love people. Then love. That verse says, if you will begin to love people with the God they love, you're going to know God. Because there's going to be reactions and circumstances that happen, and you're going to have to rely on God. And in the loving of others, you're going to get to know Him. You're going to experience Him in ways you never, ever have. Right? Look at verse 8. Here's the flip side. Whoever does not love God, whoever does not love, does not know God because God is love. You know the power? Here's, here's what this means. It means if you don't love, you don't know God and you never did. That's, that's the power of that word right there. And I'm not talking perfect, right? How many people get irritated at somebody next to you? <laughs> right? So I'm not talking this idea that, that there's, we don't ever have issues or, you know, I'm not talking about, hey, I love you, I love you, nothing's wrong. You know, I'm not talking. As a general pattern of your life, if you're not loving others, those verses say you've got to do a gut check, you've got to do a heart check. Because if you have angst and you have hatred and you have discord with other believers, those verses tell you, you may not know God and you may never have known God. Because we just learned, if you know God, you've been given His nature. If you know God, you've been given the Holy Spirit. So, you've got to check yourself. Very powerful. You've got to check yourself, okay? And then look at verses 9 through 11. This is how God showed His love among us. He sent His one and only Son into the world that we might live through Him. This is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. So what is God's love? It's rooted in His grace. His grace. The next time someone really bugs you, bothers you in the church, 
just take a moment and think about all the times you have bugged God and really bothered Him with your choices. Not that you're not a script, but right? How many of you have made some decisions that you know have probably bugged God and bothered Him? And you had to, after a while, you felt convicted and you're like, Okay, Father, forgive me. Anyone? How many of you receive that grace? We still receive that grace. Those verses are saying, hey, believers, the same grace you received at salvation, the same grace you receive daily, extend it to one another. So turn to the person next to you that bugs you and smile. Because that's who you're to extend it to. But what do we do? But see, because we don't understand fellowship and because it's optional, what happens in churches when people bug us? Honestly, what happens? We leave. We leave. We go find another church where more people are like me and I like them. And You get what I'm saying? Rather than, rather than extending grace, rather than working through issues as the body, rather than obeying that command to love... Oh, we're out of here. I told you. I told you those Rollins. Huh? Right? I mean, like, really? Really? I love those verses. Hey, just, just, when someone bugs you, just remember the grace that God extends to us and to us daily. And take a deep breath. Isn't that better? That's love. That's love, right? And let's look at uh, 19, verse 19, chapter 4. We love because He first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he is a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And He has given us this command, whoever loves God must love his brother. Hey, guys, if we're going to say that we love this sort of invisible God, supernatural God, the proof is in the pudding by us loving each other. You see what he's saying? Now let's get real practical. That starts at home. I read this wonderful article where uh, uh, someone wrote to this author and they were really bummed because they had this teenager that would do all this stuff at church and go to camps, but at home, disrespectful. At home, didn't want to do anything. And they were asking for help. And this person, you know, they responded and they're like, hey, your faith starts at home with those closest to you who see the good, the bad, and everything else. If you want to grow and you want to mature in your faith, command, honor the command to love at home. Because what? It's easier to love at church. You only see each other once a week. Or twice, or in this case, six, right? But, but it's only for an hour or two, Woo! right? If we're going to mature, if we want to know God experientially, if we want genuine fellowship, it starts at home. It starts at home. Because, see, many of us say, oh, that's just my wife, or that's my husband, or that's my daughter, or that's my son. No, if they're believers, no, that's a believer, Wes, Olivia is a believer. Now, no, but understand this. This is what we do. If we don't see her as a believer, we can slide into, well, that's just my wife. 
And we can actually get comfortable treating my wife in non-biblical ways. But suddenly, Wes, you're commanded to love her as Christ loves you. Amen, Olivia? Amen, right? Do you see the difference? Sometimes we elevate our, our biological relationship and we excuse behavior. When really, if you have believers in your house, those verses aren't, those, those verses aren't limited to OVCF. The verses we're reading about loving one another start in your house toward other believers in your house. Powerful. Powerful. What would it do if, if you went home and you just started to see, or your workplace, if that's where you're surrounded by a, a core of believers, or even a Bible study, and you just started to see, wait, that's just not my friend. That's just not my daughter. That's just not my spouse. They're a believer. Might just change things. Might just change. That, that's why it's really convicting for pastors. You know, the, the statistics of, of marital, familial tanking for pastors way up there. Why? Because we get consumed with ministering to you. And we forget that we have a wife and kids at home. But see, they're just my wife and kids. You're the believers. You see what happens? So I'm going to pour into you and I'm going to treat you as believers, but I'm going to go home and that's just my wife and kids. And that's why there's this split because my wife and kids start to go, what's up with that? Dad says all this stuff and he treats all the other Christians like this. He comes home and he treats us like that. There is no difference. There is no difference. Loving one another begins at probably the place where it's the hardest. Home. Home. Or whatever circle, the closest people that know you. You've got to love them. You've got to love them, right? And then verse uh, chapter 5 says, Everyone... Verse 1, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This is how we know we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. This is love for God, to obey his commands, and his commands are not burdensome. Woo! Did you see that? His commands are what? Not burdensome. How is that possible? You just told me I'm supposed to love all the other believers beginning in my house. How is that not burdensome? Because it's not you. It's the Holy Spirit in you with your new nature. Not, if you try to do it on your own, it's not burdensome. It's impossible. You'll last about five minutes because all it's going to take is someone to snap at you irritate you the wrong way and you'll be right back in the flesh. It's not burdensome if you will say, Lord, okay, I can't do this. In my own flesh, it is impossible. And here's the thing. Following Jesus in your own flesh is impossible. So stop trying. Stop trying. And we're going to look into that in the weeks ahead. Right, Galatians 2.20, one of the most powerful verses. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life with I, which I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God. It's not even you who lives. Right? 
going back to the new believer, a new believer. Find a church, have a quiet time, read your Bible, right? Training him to do all this stuff in his effort. Concerns me. What I should have been saying, hey, new believer, you have everything in common, so just start loving from day one. And new believer, by the way, you died. It's not even you. It's Jesus in you. So what, what really, how you're going to mature in your faith is to learn day to day to submit to Jesus living in and through you. That's the real power of Christianity. But what we do is we spin it with the best of intentions for all the stuff you're supposed to do with your efforts and your resolutions and your in best intentions. When really what we should be saying is, you died. You died. It's no longer Scott who lives. It's Christ who lives in and through Scott. And Scott, what you need to do is just yield daily, moment by moment throughout the day, and say, Jesus, live in and through me by the power of the Holy Spirit. And you know what the crazy thing is? You might catch yourself saying and doing things. You're like, who said that? Because the old Scott would have snapped. And Scott, something happens and you respond differently. You're like, that was kind of weird. I kind of like that. Because Scott is getting out of the way. Scott is appropriating the truth. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. If you're going to love, if we're going to love, you just got to acknowledge right up, it's not going to be you. It's not going to be you. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this time. Thank you for reminding us that we are commanded to love as we have been loved. That we are in fellowship. It is not optional. We are to love one another all the time. Beginning at home. And yet we recognize that in ourselves this is impossible. It must be a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. In fact, Galatians 2 reminds us that we have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So Jesus, as we take communion, as the elements are distributed, would you remind us of your grace and your love so that we can be reminded that that's what we're to extend to other believers. And then Jesus, would you remind us that in the garden you submitted to the Father's will. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And maybe this morning, if we're to love as you command us, we need to take this time to submit, to yield, to acknowledge that of ourselves we can do nothing. And say, Jesus, please, live in and through me. I want to love as you tell me to, as I'm commanded to, but... I just can't on my own. So Jesus, I'm going to yield and submit to you to allow you to love others through me. So Lord, take this time of, of communion and use it as a time of reflection and a time of application what we've heard from your word this morning. Amen.